0: This is for fox sake. Hello and
1: welcome to for fox sake. My name is Pete Selby, and alongside me once again is Mr. Rob Hayes, the usual duo. I don't think anyone's been on, and actually, apart from us, two for must be about 20 25 episodes. So we've done actually quite well. But uh, yes, we're back after another Leicester win. Rob, this football malarkey is dead easy,
0: isn't it, Just? You just go along and pay a few million quid for a new manager. And you get three wins on the spin just like that. Uh, Just on the note about it just being me and you, by the way. uh, Sorry to those people listening who eventually at some point would prefer a variation in the voices. Uh, It's been me and Pete since day one. The only times we've ever had to cover that is if one or both of us have been out of the country. And at the moment, we're very much stuck here. So you're stuck with us. But yeah, football. Easy. Three wins on the spin. Would you believe it? Well, actually... I said on a previous podcast, a couple of episodes ago, that our fixture list in the in the running to the end of the season, bar the last couple of games, actually, on paper, could warrant a five or six game winning streak, and we're halfway through it.
1: We are. Um, just to go back to one thing, I am fully uh, believing the fact that people come to listen to this episode and listen to the podcast purely because of us two. In my own head, that's how it works. And as long you keep kidding <laughs> yourself, you keep well, kidding yourself. Yeah, well, you know what I mean. At the end of the day, we make the effort, so, but no, uh, you know, with, without that, maybe, <laughs> maybe, yeah. But no, uh, obviously, we are. You know, that's that is the reason. Surely, it's, it's got to be. My everyone, it's, it's surely. Anyway, um, although we'll, we'll probably get a response now from people who were uh, who now says, "Oh, you have got too big for your boots," like that chap did a few weeks ago. Well, a few months ago now. Anyway, um, I. Uh, I agree well, end of the day I was talking at work today I was talking um, on the Anfield Wrap again today and and, and all the bits and bobs and people asking questions about Leicester who aren't Leicester fans everything's rosy and it's you know when you, when you do a podcast a week after a, a win away at Burnley with Wes Morgan scoring and then you you win 2-0 against Bournemouth at home a very comfortable 2-0 Wes Morgan scoring again and Vardy everything's all right with the world isn't it it was a lovely day obviously all the v things and that as well but um yeah everything is just going in the right direction I um it was a different experience for me because I went as a fan I um I, I went with my dad and he's got a season ticket just behind the the benches just behind the um the Leicester bench so it was interesting to see you know from very close quarters all those bits and bobs and and but there was nothing really happened because it was so serene. They were playing so well. Nothing. Re- Roger stood there on the edge of his technical area, and hardly said a word. He whistled a few times, and waved his arms once or twice. He shouted at Michael once or twice to congratulate him on on distribution, and and then that was really about it. He shook hands with Morgan after the goal. It was it it was so easy and. We were trying to work out whether it was because they were very poor, which I think you have to say they were. Um, Bournemouth were poor in the first half, and they were, I think, pretty shocking in the second half. And Eddie Howe, afterwards, on Match of the Day, he, he almost said, he, he referred to um, that the travelling had travelled a long way and they deserved better. When those sort of words are mentioned by a manager... He's almost—he is apologising for the uh, for the display, really, the second half especially. But Leicester were—I think—it's the best performance in terms of ninety minutes uh, that we've had in the Premier League. This is—you can always go back to a Seville. I just go back to just before the Seville game when we beat Liverpool three-one um, in Shakespeare's first game. I think. Just going back very roughly over this season and last season, I think this is probably the best performance since then. And a 2-0 home win against Bournemouth might not set the world alight, but it was just the manner. So dominant, comfortable, exciting going forward, uh, a, a, a real player in midfield. Um, and yeah, it, it, it was just the most serene it, one nil win for a long time, and then the late uh, Vardy header just to seal things that 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 we've had for for a long time.
0: Well, like you said, Pete, the, you being afforded the opportunity to keep a, a particular eye on the on the technical area and the, and the fact that there was very little in the way of communication needed, if you like, is indicative of the way that Brendan Rodgers has got the team playing already. You've you've got to say that from. Um, observing his uh, touchline demeanour and level of um, input that he has to have in the way that the team are playing, if you take the Bournemouth game and then you rewind past uh, the previous few games, you'd probably say that Rodgers is doing less and less work on the touchline each game, which would prove to you that he is putting in a serious amount of work on the training ground to get this team playing that the, the way he wants them to play. And the fact that there is um we've been saying all season there's a lot more to come from this team they're young they're inconsistent blah 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 the fact that there has been such a short term upturn in performance level as well as results uh, that have come with it um is is a real positive and it does show that that there is the potential within this team to produce dominant, match-winning performances like that. All right, Bournemouth at the moment, they're a bit of a streaky team. They're sort of, let's go on a really good run of games for about 10, and then let's... um, And then they're the real momentum team. If they've lost a couple, then they tend to go on a bit of a bad patch. If they win a couple, it tends to boost them up to a good run, and that's how they end up uh, slap-banging in the middle of the Premier League, essentially. Uh, But yeah, Eddie Howe did say afterwards, uh, he got asked a direct question, um, are you... Laying that blame at the uh, at the door of the players, and he shouldered it himself, which is basically code word for they weren't good enough. But I don't think they were allowed to be good enough, and I think that's the point that we've got to make here. They, all right, they're not coming here on a lot on a lot of um, with a lot of confidence. But if you're the home team, as Leicester City were, uh, on a day that was always going to be a, a good atmosphere because of it being in and around. Um, Kunvichai's 61st birthday you know you got the the customary free beer and cake um, the the standing ovation and the everlasting chanting that that reached its peak really at the 61st minute but I, I don't think it by any means started then or finished a few minutes after it was rippling throughout the the whole game Everything was in place for Leicester to go out there and put in a quality performance. And with Brendan Rodgers' high pressing style, that lent itself superbly to that kind of atmosphere. I know, and I'll only touch very briefly on Claude Puel, but the style of football we were playing under him wouldn't have really epitomised the atmosphere that was already going to be there at the ground today. Rodgers is a bit more all action in terms of the tactical approach uh, and the players executed it perfectly. Uh, And all right, it was, yes, it was a 2-0 against Bournemouth and one of those goals came late on. But as you say, Pete, it's the complete performance or as close to the complete performance as we've got in a long while. I I think so. Obviously, they had a really good chance straight after
1: our first goal, a, a brilliant save by Schmeichel. But um, we'll come on to Yuri Tillemans in, in a bit. But uh, yeah, the, the, the celebrations really for Visha—that's that's what it was. It, it, it was to celebrate, and I think it will be um, from now on uh, on a fixture uh, that's nearest to his birthday, and with the sunshine and and with the you know the free beer and cake etc. It it just turned into you know the, the perfect football day really. Um, with the performance of of Bournemouth, yes, they were disappointed. They caused a few problems down the left. Um, Fraser once or well two or three times actually got beyond uh, Ricardo, who just got his bearings slightly wrong. Maybe just looking to go forward a little bit too much, getting the wrong side of Fraser, and that led to the chance for Wilson, which was well saved by Schmeichel. Um, but then again, Ricardo then grew into the game, become more of the attacking force we know in the first half, creating chances. Second half was, I, th- I think he was exceptional in the second half, playing more as a winger because they were so dominant and he, w- he was fantastic right in front of, of where I was. And um, But we'll start with the first goal. Wes Morgan, lovely back heel, as you do. Did he know all about it? Well, he got a touch on it. Did he mean to, to come off the post? No, but he guided it towards goal. That's That's what you do when the ball comes like that. So... Good reactions from him, but a co- a confident corner taken out wide to chill. I was probably looking to it it first time, but then that is the confidence that the team has. And then late on, if we just mentioned the two goals, um, we we uh, we as uh, as football experts, uh, me and my dad, we uh, we basically mentioned about how Leicester don't have, which I think is a a well known fact, and also I think most fans would accept that you know, we were kind of right in thinking that we don't have that tall centre-forward or someone with more of a physical presence who maybe could have come on um, as Leo Ajoa used to. For the last 20 minutes, maybe we could have done that because Vardy's not great at getting on the end of those sorts of crosses. And then he goes and does exactly what we said that uh, he doesn't really do, and that's get on the end of a, a cross with a really good header, brave header. If you go back to the Watford game, that collision with the goalkeeper he was very brave Vardy and uh, he scored the the second goal to seal the game so two goals very different but uh, the whole side and again we don't want to go back to Puel all the time but it is similar in a way in terms of the way that they keep the ball in defence and they're not afraid to pass back they pass back to Schmeichel using his distribution which we know can be dodgy at times because he always tries the, um, the the difficult pass but when it works, they set off onto an attack. And But the difference is, now the club and the, the supporters, should I say, they know that when Leicester have the ball in their back line and they're passing it around themselves, just like a prime example was the chance for Vardy in the first half, which he should have, should have scored. All of a sudden, we had the ball for maybe a minute or so and there was just starting to be a, a few discerning voices in the crowd because I think indeed he passed it back to the defenders a few times and then the opportunity was there bang bang it took a couple of efforts for Gray to get um, free of a player and then they released the ball down the wing and the cross came and they were just caught on the hop and maybe even Vardy slightly as well it was so fast our attacking now is so quick when we do that we, we, we're getting beyond defensive lines. We're getting down the sides of teams very easily at times. The final ball is not quite there at the moment. Uh, the finishing in some departments is is not quite there. But it's the it's the quickness of attack, the sharpness of the players. They've been well drilled. Uh, they they look fitter, and I think that has to be part of the reason why we've put in a performance for uh, ninety minutes, especially, and it's. Again, we'll come on to Juri Tillemans, but he is playing a very, very serious role in all of that.
0: Yeah, you talk about the fitness thing there. That's uh, it, It's a prerequisite of playing the high-pressing style that Brendan Rodgers wants. If you're playing in a team... Uh, like Leicester have been for most of the season where you only press once they show uh, an intention of coming over the halfway line, then you only need half the level of fitness in reality because we are really pressing towards the edge of the opposition's penalty area. But I think when we talk about styles of football, it's got to be hard as a manager coming in and and trying to stamp your own print on things, really. Um, But I think you can see that Leicester have found a happy medium between the start... Again, look, we're talking a little bit historical here in terms of things that have passed and whatever, but our most successful style of football in the last few years, and certainly the style of football that won us the Premier League, was that picking the right moment to launch a super quick counter-attack. Uh, and it was it was more direct, don't get me wrong. It was a, a lot of um, sort of well-weighted long balls, shall we say. How many times did we put Vardy over the top to score? But I think... Then Powell's come in and tried to put a possession stamp on it and Rodgers has come in and gone, hang on, why can't we do a bit of both? Why can't we be comfortable in possession as the players have proved that they can be um, without the, the the pace of the build-up play? Um, but Rodgers has gone, well, why can't we also include a bit of pace when we want to? So the reason that you see uh, the players taking their time a little bit is so that they can find that moment, that that moment that springs the attack forward, and and they can make the right selection there. And I can't even begin to imagine how many drills they'll be doing on the training ground um, in in the last month or or so since Rodgers was here uh, in build-up play and just using the ball and getting that ball forward. Really, really quickly, but some of the interplay between the Leicester players in the last few games has been absolutely exquisite. You know, one-touch layoffs, one-twos, give and goes, m- moving the ball so quickly through the thirds. Um, and I've got to say, on very early evidence, and we don't make to, like to make huge comments on on this podcast that are sort of out there and 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 all singing and all dancing, but it it could be the best style of football that Leicester have played in in my recent mem- well, in my memory of watching them play because if you're combining good quality possession football with quick exciting and I won't call it counterattacking because we're not sort of waiting for teams to attack us and then springing them we're keeping the ball probing pulling them slightly out of position and then hitting them it's all action because you're pressing high it's uh, reassuring because you're keeping the ball but it's also exciting because the ball is then at the opportune moment being moved forward quickly and with quality and with style and it is very, very watchable.
1: I I, I agree but I, the, the one bit of that really which I'd like to highlight is the ability to as Leicester fans have been, become accustomed to when you counter-attack obviously the team is coming on to you and then you, you catch them on the break but the way Leicester are doing it at the moment, it's in that style, but when we have the ball, they're, they're, they're so quick in attack. Um, people will say that we are counter-attacking, but we're actually not. We're, we, we're holding the ball, and it's that mixture that you mentioned, but it's, it's the attacking with intent, something that we never had for the last year or so. How many times did we have the ball on the halfway line, especially with Maguire, say, even... 10-15 yards inside the opposition half with, with with every single player in that half and Leicester passing the ball side to side 40 yards from the opposition goal and not really getting anywhere this is attacking with intent after we've had the ball for a minute or two just like I mentioned with that chance for Vardy in the first half Um, now Yuri Tillemans we know he's a good player we're not going to go into much detail about him because we, everyone knows he's a quality player who needs to sign um, no matter what the cost is. For me, he's just a step above. But it's the effect for me that Yuri Tillemans is having on all the other players. First of all, Wilfried Ndidi, um, I, I gave man of the match actually. and Obviously, Tillemans had a, had a superb game, excellent game. But Ndidi was so efficient, he was clean. In his tackles and and getting back and winning the ball using his body, and it was probably the most animated that Rogers were there uh, was during the game, and it was just basically him applauding Wilfred indeed You can see he obviously really likes him as a player. It was he was so clean in his tackles and then just passing the ball forward or out wide, letting someone else do it and occasionally making a forward run himself. He he was superb, but it's it's the calming effect I think that. Tillemans is having on especially the likes of Barnes and Gray um, and also Madison as well knowing that they don't always have to come short they can stay out wide because they've got a p- person who can find them something that like we've mentioned um, around about six months ago when it started to really unravel this season uh, with Claude and the fact that our wingers weren't really given the service, they were get, getting a lot of criticism at the time, and we were saying it's because they're not getting the service uh, quickly enough. And and he's just having a, for me, a very calming effect on the defenders who can, they can find Wilf and they can find Yuri, and they know that they're going to um, then start to can- attack or we're not going to lose the ball. Very similar to a few years ago, we say drink water. Um, a person who can. Either drop deep, pick the ball up, pass, move, he's not going to give the ball away. Tillimans is like that. And uh, I think the Carmen effect is, is really showing on Saturday for me with Madison, who I thought played played well. Um, and then you've got uh, Ndidi especially behind him. Madison for me um, was just, he, he's obviously a good technical player. Um, he's surrounded by very quick players. And he's pretty sprightly over, you know, five or ten yards. He for me, he just needs to almost calm down slightly. He just needs to play it simple and keep it simple. He's he's almost trying too hard, trying too hard maybe to impress. He just needs to to slightly calm down. You could possibly say the same for Harvey Barnes as well. It it will come for them, but uh, I, I was I was impressed with Madison on Saturday. I thought it was one of his one of his better games.
0: Yeah, the thing you might find with Madison as well is he is very much used to this season being the player, the go-to player to make something happen. He's been labelled the creative one. He's been labelled the the technician, if you like. So he was the man that was responsible for going and fetching the ball and making something happen. Uh, and obviously he didn't manage to affect games all the way through uh, and he hasn't really done that much in his Leicester career so far he'd go missing for sort of 20 minutes here and there so so when he wasn't available we were struggling to, to play football really. I don't know whether he he looks at Yuri Tielemans and thinks right okay here's another bloke that can actually play my brand of football and maybe he's just trying a little bit too hard it might be the fact that it's the new manager as well it might be a combination of both but I think one thing's for sure about James Madison he's a confident young man and he'll keep trying to to do things whether Brendan Rogers addresses that now or in the summer and just says, Look, you're probably gonna have more of an effect on the game if you if you make better choices some of the time in the positions that you take up or the speed at which you offload the ball, I think would be um would be one for me for Madison. But you can tell that he's got the quality in there. Um talking of Tielemans, it's it's just it's so reassuring, not just for the players on the pitch, but for every fan in the King Power Stadium as well, because We were getting into positions um, before he joined us where the defenders would be on the ball or a winger would be tight to the touchline and the only option would really be to go inside. And you'd look inside and you'd see it was Mendy and and Ndidi. And you'd see that the opposition midfield were within four or five yards, if not closer, to them. So you would either pray that they'd manage to get it under control and move the ball on again or pray that the person in possession didn't give it them in that area in the first place. Yet you watch Yuri Tielemans, almost every single time he gets the ball, and let's remember that this is a 22-year-old, uh, brand new to the Premier League, almost every single time he gets the ball, he keeps it and he moves it somewhere else. And when he's got that extra little bit of time, he moves it somewhere even more positive than than perhaps you could even imagine from that situation saw a couple of times on at uh, the weekend a minimum of a couple of times where he got he received the ball with an opposition player right up his backside and all of a sudden he's got that awareness that control that technique to get away from them and then move the ball forward you know that ball One wouldn't have ever gone into Ndidi or Mendy because they wouldn't have been trusted by their teammates to give them the ball there. But every single Leicester player knows they can give the ball to Yuri Tielemans and it will stay with a Leicester player the the next time he moves it on. Uh, And that is such a reassuring position to be in. I mean, I can can only relate this from a playing perspective to the level I play at, which is obviously absolutely nowhere near the Premier League. Um, But as a centre-back... As a centre back, to have a central midfielder that you can trust with the ball, even if you see them having a man on, rather than you getting shouted out for lumping it over the halfway line, and saying, "Come on lads, let's get up to the halfway line, let's get rid of it." If you've got a central midfielder that you one you know can trust, and two is coming short and demanding the ball from you, you're you're happy to give it them there, in, in safe in the knowledge that the ball is going to be safe, and it's a it's a remarkable ability to have. Uh, And it is an absolutely crucial one. It just calms everybody down. Rodgers is asking the defenders to keep the ball. Yes, uh, they'd be much calmer about that because they know that they have uh, a trustworthy outlet. And we've said it pretty much since day one. But pay the cash, pay whatever it takes to get that man signed up in a Leicestershire and do it now before the big clubs can properly come sniffing because they, their ears will be pricked up by his stats. I, mean, I think it's, what, a goal and three assists in six games. It is it is a ridiculously positive start. He's got loads more to come still. I would be having his agent round for dinner every night if I was John Rudkin or, or Top or whoever it is that deals with these things finally. I would be buttering him up, him up so much and just say, look, right, name your price. There it is. Yeah, they, they need to sign him desperately. It's um,
1: It was an interesting substitution that was made when um, Mendy was coming on. And uh, so Mendy comes on and you looked at the, the the forward four players. It wasn't going to be Vardy. It was going to be one of the others. Uh, I picked out Gray. It turns out to be Barnes, who, who had gone off the boil slightly, hadn't really touched the ball for 15, 20 minutes. He comes off. Madison goes over to that side and Tillemans then can go forward to the number 10 role essentially and then you have the two sitting midfielders but again the sitting midfielders are there knowing that they've got a guy that they can they can pass to and still distribute the ball and yes i know that's that's those two who we mentioned playing alongside each other but in a different style and Mendy came on and was busy and you know little bull isn't he you know running around all over the place and he's a perfect person maybe to shut down a game and to Bring on at that time, you can also then replace indeedy if an injury or, or whatever um, just a, a light for light replacement but Tillemans gives you that option because he can play there, I'm pretty sure he can sit back as well in defensive roles or he can maybe even go on, the, I think he can pr- play, pretty much play um, anywhere really in that midfield area or even out wide if necessary um, so it's a, a really good option there for, for the manager and it's just if Every Leicester fan, every Leicester phone-in or whatever will be saying they just need to sign him. He's better than... It's, it's the comfortable nature of the person in terms of when he's on the field and what I said previously is affecting other players. But he just looks happy. He looks He's settled into the Premier League. There's no problems there. They just need to pay the money. That's worth a, a few million by itself. All the problems you get with people coming over, like Silver say, you know, and there was a lot of issues there with his signing, and none of it was probably his fault at all. Um, that has to be a massive reason why he doesn't really settled in the area. You have to think, um, but if he settled Tillimans, then yeah, pay the money, and if if they keep on going up five million here, they you know, they might as well pay it. The problem I've got is is the form. It's so good. There has to be. And, and, and the goal for uh, for Belgium as well, the performance they put in for his country, it's the, there has to be clubs bigger than Leicester in terms of size. Spurs have got Spurs uh, apparently after him and Arsenal have been mentioned and uh, today reading about it. Um, Manchester United apparently were uh, looking at the weekend. If these clubs come in, he's going to go there. He's he, he really will. They need to just get this deal done and, and fingers crossed it gets done because if, if it doesn't, the problem the club have is twofold and that's one trying to buy a player in the same position who's good who's as good as him or um but would also cost a lot of money a you've also got then silver well does he go to monaco And um, but also when let's say a player gets signed instead of tillemans because he's gone to let's just say united for example then we would instantly be comparing him to the performances of Eurotillman's, and if he doesn't quite come up to scratch straight away, then you know you know what I mean. It's not quite. Uh, he's not the player we wanted. Really, we wanted this guy, but he he's gone elsewhere. So they just need to get it done, and uh, it's it's a terrible scenario. Really, you, you almost want him not to play that well in a way, but um, we shall see. Um, at the weekend, they've got newly relegated Huddersfield. Which is an interesting game because of the fact that they are relegated. There's a few issues with the manager's not been sacked. Their new guy. There was rumours that he's lost the dressing room. Uh, I think some of the f- former players have mentioned that. Uh, they're obviously a poor side, but I don't know whether the being relegated sometimes gives players some freedom, really. But I don't know whether that would actually apply to Huddersfield or whether. Basically, they're good enough to take advantage of maybe that freedom and the weight being lifted off their shoulders. But for Leicester, it has to be. It was a must-win game in terms of going for seventh. Um, And it really has to be a must-win game in terms of current form and heading over to one of the worst teams in Premier League history.
0: Yeah, it does. The thing about Huddersfield is well, the thing about a team that that's already been relegated. Um, if you looked at the Premier League squads before the season started, you would have put Huddersfield and maybe Cardiff sort of equal bottom in terms of quality on paper. So you're really looking at a a team of uh, well, last season certainly a team of over overachieving Championship footballers or sort of very average. Um, mid-table Bundesliga footballers. When Wagner was there, he he made Premier League footballers out of some very average German players, and, and they've proved that this season. So the the release of pressure will be there. Absolutely, of course it will. Um, although it's been obviously the writing's been on the wall for several months now that Huddersfield are down. Uh, the the feeling that that goes with that probably doesn't come until it's actually mathematically possible. Although they will have all known it in the back backs of their mind, so I think there will be a release of pressure in that sense. But if the um, the media rumours etc are true about the uh, bit of tension really between the new manager and the and the senior players, that could it create its own pressure and tension. That means that you don't actually notice the fact that Huddersfield are a team now playing like they've been relegated, um, with the shackles off and the freedom, and that they might be equally limited as as they have been over the last um, well season really, but a couple of months in terms of the the crippling tension. Things have not played awfully, and uh, since uh, certainly since Jan Sievert actually got some of his ideas across, they nearly beat um, I think it was West Ham the other week in that four-three. Uh, and they've looked all right, but they've just not got the quality. And, and as you say, Pete, it's a must-win game in terms of the fact that we've got a real possibility of of achieving what was essentially this podcast's pre-season aim of 7th place, which is a miracle considering we've sacked a manager and we were languishing uh, miles off the pace at about 13th, 14th at one point. But it's also a must-win in the, in the sense that any team in the Premier League has got to be looking at Huddersfield, whether you're playing them home or away, and going, we've got to beat them. It's a shame for me because David Wagner did a, a superb job with Huddersfield um, and the, the their story last season was great. And even this season, it, it's all been very sort of dignified in the way that Wagner went by mutual consent. And that's a term bandied about quite a lot in football, but I genuinely believe that that happened at Huddersfield. They had a mutual respect between each other um, Wagner and the board, uh, and Wagner went, look, I think I've taken them as far as I can, you need someone in to bring bring in some fresh energy, and if the writing's already on the wall, then fine, uh, then at least you've got a manager in to work with the players, formulate a plan for next season, and try and bounce back, and I think everything that they've done, they've done very well, and I've got a lot of respect for them, it would be a shame if the new manager has encountered some tension with uh, senior players, Um, because that makes the whole process of him coming in quite early in the season, relatively speaking, uh, a bit of a waste of time, really, because either the board backs the manager in the summer and says, right, okay, he's fallen out with a few of the senior players. We'll trust him. Um, Those senior players are likely to be the ones on the higher wages anyway, so we'll ship them off. Or... Does player power rule supreme, which is something we've talked about on this podcast in terms of Leicester City before? Um, and does that mean that the manager goes and doesn't mean that the manager maybe even goes before the end of the season? Who knows? But uh, from a Leicester City perspective, it has to be a let's go to to Huddersfield and stick some goals past them uh, and play, uh, uh, play them off the park like we essentially did Bournemouth this weekend.
1: Yeah, the argument for 7th place is, is interesting and, and will change every single week with results. But um, with the results that we had at the weekend, obviously City winning, Wolves and Watford both losing. Uh, a win for Everton as well. you you throw them in, certainly into the mix and West Ham uh, faltering, obviously losing to Everton. But it's, again, going to change every single week. But we're in with a shout and they will be under no illusions that they, they want 7th place. Rogers will have told them that. And we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Again, it will be fluid because of changes week in, week out regarding results. It'll be interesting if we're in a very, very solid position, i.e. we maybe go on a, a real run and win the next few games against Newcastle at home and not the game at the weekend away at Huddersfield. But then you come up against the final three games of the season against the big boys and all plans then get thrown out the window because they will not want to play an in-form Leicester. I don't think they will want to play us anyway and we will have a a, a really big outcome say on the, the Premier League and also the top four, especially the top four playing Chelsea and Arsenal. And we said last week regarding 7th place, look, it we'll just wait and see. And I think that is still the case. But with every game and with every performance and with every victory, it's getting closer and closer and closer. And it will get to the point in the next few weeks where all the attention will then be on that 7th place. And if Watford and Wolves, obviously, well, one of them will go through to the, Final of the FA Cup, so one of them will then be able to turn their attention back to the Premier League. What effect does that have on the side? If you lose in an FA Cup semi-final, do you and then you're you're safe in the Premier League, do you start to down tools or does it have that effect on the team? Does it rally the team? And then you've got the team who is in the final. Do they still have unpredictable results because their all their attention is on the FA Cup? Because that's their one game. To get into europe and to win a, a big trophy so there's two teams there which you can have question marks over you've got an inform everton and you've got an out-of-form west ham and you've got a very informed leicester leicester with those three very tricky games at the end of the season it could be very very exciting we were looking at the fixture list a few weeks ago thinking well Here we go. These are the last few games. Rodgers has got, what, 10 games, nine games to take a look at the side and see what he needs. And it's going to be up and down. He changed the formation a number of times. He did that in the first game at Watford, didn't he? But uh, it's going to be unpredictable. We might lose some, there might be some uh, strange selections, giving everyone a chance. It's actually not been like that, hasn't it? It's been very calm and very, very healthy in terms of a points tally. And from those 10 games to going, oh, we'll see what happens. It's now looking
0: really, really exciting and we could be in for a very exciting final few games. We could, and it's like our own mini title race, really. For a long time this season, it's been very clear that the top six are a cut above and it's the typical top six. There's been nobody really troubling them this season, so they've been fighting it out between themselves uh, for the Champions League qualification, obviously. But then you look at the other 14 teams... Uh, and to finish the best of the rest of those and finish in seventh would represent a, a good season. And we've said that Leicester uh, should be a club that is building towards being regular challengers in and around that top six. Um, nobody's really mentioned, well, certainly not an hour apart anyway, top four. But you finished seventh this, uh, this season after. A, a bit of turmoil, it's not been like massively up and down, but there have been a few hitches along the way. You finish 7th there and prove that you're the best of the remaining Premier League teams after a season like that, and then you say, right, we've got all this club development coming on, we've got a manager who's now got a full pre-season to work with a squad that he's inherited to uh, improve the squad on the training ground, but also improve the squad in terms of recruitment. Um, And you're thinking, look, this is very, very positive for the future. And I, look, if if Rogers wants to see some of the fringe players in the remaining few games now that we are relatively safe, then fine. I think the Leicester players, uh, Leicester fans rather, have have, have already um, got enough evidence to to trust him. Um, I don't think people would really would really question that. But I would like to see us continuing to feel this which is our definitely our strongest team in um, this style really cement this style of play um, get another three wins on the on the bounce to make it six in total and then give it a good go at the end but, you know it's always interesting because if you even if you're at uh, the the incentive to finish seventh is is there, obviously. But it's always nice as well to be able to meddle a little bit in, in what's going on with the big boys at the end of the season. And we could pick up a couple of results there that might cause a couple of teams some, some real problems because it's going to go down to the wire at the top. So it's actually not going to peter out just yet. It's going to be uh, an end of season that is worth watching and worth getting excited about. Well, final few
1: points uh, Mr Maguire does he come back into the team because we've got a red hot goal scoring defender at the moment on our hands in in Wes Morgan who played well at the weekend scored the goal um, to open the scoring but was he didn't really have an awful lot to do he he handled Wilson very well and Johnny Evans dealt with the majority of high balls forward and was again very comfortable and confident along with every other player on the field. But does Maguire come in for Wes Morgan? That might sound stupid, but do you have the scenario where if Rogers looks at Huddersfield and goes, Hang on, they've got a few big lads up top, actually, Wes Morgan would be best suited to play against those? He's playing well, he's confident. Um, we'll actually stick with you, Wes, and England's centre half Mag- Harry Maguire, who will be suited to playing against those players. You're going to have to just
0: sit on the bench, and what would you do? I think tactically, it's um, it's a a, a a position that we can't really comment on. That's completely down to Brendan Rodgers. But I think, in terms of my personal opinion on the matter, I would. Stick with Morgan and Evans. They um, look Morgan and Maguire is a partnership that, out of the three of them, fills me with the least confidence. Which then, by proxy, means that Johnny Evans has got to be in the side for for my um, from from my personal point of view. Um, and then you've got Wes Morgan. He's the club captain. He's he has properly led from the front in that Burnley game. Um, typified by the late goal yes he scored obviously against Bournemouth but and he's put in a, a rock steady performance it's not going to do Harry Maguire any harm whatsoever to to sit on the bench Um, it's not a punishment it's not uh teaching him a lesson he we talked on the previous podcast he was probably out of position well he was definitely out of position got caught the wrong side for the red card Uh, It's a small mistake, positioning-wise, that led to a bigger mistake um, in terms of the red card. Uh, But look, Maguire has not been as good this season as he was last season, that's a fact. We've also discussed that on this podcast. So... Look, your best best players don't have to play every single game. If your club captain is in form, showing excellent leadership skills on the pitch and he's next to a defensive partner who keeps him steady, which Johnny Evans absolutely does, I think he's been one of the unsung uh, good performers this season for Leicester City, really. Uh, We just kind of take it for granted that he's going to put us in an 8 out of 10 every game and, and we talk about other players. I would start Morgan and Evans. I think I don't think it's going to do any um, anything negative to Harry Maguire, uh, and I think it says to Wes Morgan, look, you didn't just sign a one-year contract extension for sentimentality. You started it because you are the club captain. You're the leader of this team, and when you're in form, you're going to play. Simple as that. I
1: agree. I, I would do the same. I'd still play Morgan. And you would maybe look at Maguire and say, look, next week we're playing at home against um, Newcastle. They've got Rondon. Maybe Maguire's best suited to play against Rondon. And, you know, you can concentrate all week on that and, and, and work with Evans and you'll be in the side next week. And Or maybe it's the other way round. Maybe Maguire comes in this week. And then where's Morgan then comes back in the week after to play against Rondon because he's best suited and... He's maybe had a, a a good record against Rondon, who has scored against Leicester a few times. But um, I
0: have to look back and, and, and look at those goals. Maybe he's turned him inside out. I can't quite remember. Off the I can recall right one game where Rondon absolutely put Wes Morgan on his backside. But I think Rondon had put any centre-back in the Premier League on his backside. He's a big, big fellow. And he's strong and powerful. Yeah, on his day, he's a, he's a real, real handful.
1: And um, and there was some breaking news today I saw on Twitter. Uh, it was about Leicester's ground redevelopment and the inclusion of Coventry City in a long-term deal uh, to ground share with Leicester. Uh, can, do you want to comment on that?
0: Do you want to comment on that? The listeners know very well that you're in charge of the social media channels uh, and that I had absolutely nothing to do with that.
1: i thought it was good i was on my way to work and i was thinking right what can i do because it was it was early doors and uh, it took me a few junctions of the m1 to uh to think of that and i thought it was actually i thought it was quite good no one bought it either on facebook or on twitter no one no one bought it. There were, you know, there were a few raised eyebrows. They said, "Oh, you know, when you're looking up, as if to go, oh dear, and all that sort of thing." So, uh, yeah, it didn't quite work out, but never mind. Next year, I'll be back because there's always one every year. But um, I thought it was quite good. There is a, a question regarding the uh, the ground, and that nothing still has been released. Nothing concrete, we um, has been released about the ground. I asked. Rob Tanner uh, from the Leicester Mercury. Uh, did I mention this last week? He did a and A online, and I asked the question, and he just confirmed that the club are looking to redevelop the ground, and plans are they've got the plans, etc. And but nothing still has been released, and there's been no season ticket information, as far as I'm aware, being released. I can only, in my own mind, think that they are linked. Because maybe there's an issue at the end of next season if they're going to take the roof off or whatever. And maybe they're just looking at certain scenarios and it will be released at some point. But a few question marks regarding the ground redevelopment. I thought it would have been released by now what is actually happening. Whether because of the downturn in form before the appointment of Rodgers. Maybe they were just making sure that you know we guaranteed Premier League football. If that's the case, then I wouldn't be surprised if something's released in the next few weeks. But it's interesting, if you look at the season ticket side of things, that there's no news on both fronts, which I think is not a coincidence.
0: No, but it's not like no news is bad news, is it? It's just you want them to get this right, because the last thing that that we want is to... Um, to make some supporters resent not that not the stadium extension in itself but resent the process that that it undertakes there is there is going to be some upheaval for some season ticket holders there has to be a a building project of that scale can't happen in the few short months over the summer. Especially if something like um, Europa League qualification happens, and we have a a home qualifier in early July or whatever it will be, then you know it's just not going to happen. There, there are going to be they they must just be looking at the way to make this the best possible um, redevelopment with the least possible disruption. Because as we know, the, the club treats the fans extremely well and always takes into consideration. Their feelings, not overall, but individually and sort of match by match. um I don't think they'll just look at it so flippantly and go, well, it's for the greater good, so they will move because, look, it was um for the greater good when it was uh, Champions League time and some season ticket holders got moved because of extensions to hospitality areas that were part of the the corporate deal with the Champions League. Um, and some sections of supporters got a bit annoyed by that, and and it's understandable. You've been sitting in the same seat all season. You want to sit there to watch them Leicester in the Champions League, so they've just got to be careful that they don't um, annoy a minority of Leicester supporters, and that they make sure that they get everything right. And you look at major building projects uh, in any sector at the moment, but especially football. You look at Spurs, for example. Getting a job done on budget and on time is extremely difficult. You know, I don't know why the estimators always put these um, ambitious deadlines and budgets in uh, because nobody ever meets them. So Leicester will be mindful of the fact that they want to make sure that it's completed in the most satisfactory, satisfactory way possible for all parties. Yeah, you'd
1: imagine that for what the plans that were released or was leaked, which well, I spoke to you and you spoke to a, a few people down there that were basically okayed and were given the green light in terms of they are real. Uh, the idea was that they were going to do what Liverpool did and that's build basically the extension to the east end behind the east end, and then move it in place towards the end of the season. That was my my thinking that it would basically be built off site behind the stand during the season no effect to the stand at all and then towards the end of the season which is probably what's being worked out ticket wise you know the the roof comes off some work gets done and then over the summer then they move the stand slide it in basically and and finish it off in time for the start of the next season that's that's what i had in my head it seems to be perfect amount of time if you're looking at a, a one stand redevelopment and and the added bits onto the top of uh, Two stands behind the goals. The Liverpool um, scenario it is quite similar in a way in terms of redeveloping that one stand. Yes, theirs was a bigger main stand in the first place, but we're obviously maybe putting more in to what they've. It's 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 it's, it's a very similar kind of um, of upgrade in in a way so uh, and theirs took that amount of time so that's why i'm kind of basing it on that but uh, i'm just impatient things are going really well at the club i just want them to to release these fantastic plans and and then get on with it it'd be it'd be fantastic but so there we go you never know it could be tomorrow we'll we'll wait and see but anyway um that was uh, all the stuff that i mentioned with april Force. that was all on twitter at Pod, is the twitter handle so go and give us a follow on there at ffsbod you can search for us on Facebook. Just type in for Fox 8 Podcast and you can find us on there. Give us a like and you can listen to all the episodes on there. And uh, And that's about it for fox8podcast at gmail.com. If you want to send us an email on absolutely anything at all to do with Leicester or if you want to send us an email about whatever anyway, it doesn't really matter. Uh, Drinking With Fear podcast, take a listen to that. That's really funny. And uh, anything else, Rob?
0: No, that's pretty much it.
1: Been a pleasure as always. Yeah it's it's all right when it's going well isn't it it's uh it's like i mentioned to uh to to the liverpool guys i was talking to today they 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 actually said after i said my spiel for a few minutes they went it's actually quite refreshing to talk to a fan of a club who where everything's going well and i said yeah i says y- you'll get that from the majority because you are looking to improve in all aspects of your club in terms of the especially the play side of things. But then when the play side of things is all going well, you then look at, you know, do you like the kit? Uh, what about the ground? Um, whatever, you know, you're trying to find something to improve. Service inside the ground would be one. It's absolutely woeful. I went <laughs> about two minutes before half-time to go and get a drink. And I went into the West End and I stood in the queue and then... Watched the final couple of minutes of the first half. Referee blew his whistle. By the time I got my drink, walked, and it wasn't a a pint, it was a a, a soft drink, so I could walk straight back to my seat. Walked back to my seat. The second half started. I was there for the entire half-time. In fact, two minutes more than the entire half-time. And it's ridiculous. You can't have the fact that you leave uh, at half-time to go and get a pie or whatever, and you're going to miss the start of the second half. of it. it was terrible. There was a million things I could say about it, but it was awful. And this, there'll be a lot of people listening to this right now going, "Yeah, it's been like that, Pete, for years and years and years." And I know from the time I've been there, um, but it's been a long time since I've seen it in the last four or five years because of the job that we do at the ground. That's why, um, and, and we've always said we're just amazingly lucky with the press room and this, that and the other amazingly fortunate position, but how they've not sorted this still. It's, it's absolutely awful. Woeful. Um, and there we go. So that's the one thing. That's the one rant.
0: We needed one. You can never just be happy. Can you? I can. You can can, never, you can never just sign off a podcast by going in. Everything (laughs) is rosy. Cheers. Speak to you next time. Oh, by the way, everybody, the service is terrible. Well, it's it's not that it's
1: it's the fact that we're doing so well that it 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 basically pushed my memory of the bad service away until right at the end I had to dig deep to find that again, um, but it's not bad service, and the people behind the counter well they're they're employed by you know agency basis this that and the other so they don't really they don't really care to be perfectly honest uh, I know that for a fact because I used to do that years and years and years ago anyway, and so I'm not blaming them it's just if it was poor or if it was slow, then I would kind of go well it's you know you a you're in a you' in a football ground what do you expect? It's beyond poor and it's beyond slow. it's ridiculous. so that needs to change that but I think I'm just echoing the thoughts of every single person in uh, who goes to the king power apart from uh, us who get things I won't tell listeners that we get someone come around with the baskets with the pies in and hand them to us keep that one quiet we'll keep that one quiet which again and I'm still in the position and I know you are but we sit there and still go we shake our heads still and go what are we doing it? What we, you know, this is ridiculous after you know however many years we've been doing it but uh, there we go anyway um, did you see the April Fool from Watford they were quite they released a kit their new kit for next season and it was awful it was all had all these diamonds all over it and that and um, it, it was definitely a, an April Fool you could tell but um, when you click on the message, you see all the comments and there's a lot of people going, actually, not being funny, I quite like it. So that's worth looking. Look for the official Watford Twitter handle and uh, see their post and see the kit. There's a lot of res- response going, that's that, yeah, that's that's not the worst kit in the world. You could have uh, put a really poor one out. But uh, yeah, I've been trying to find these uh, April Fools just to, just to build for next year. I've got a whole
0: year to build to an absolute crack next year. Can't wait.